Hey, I want you to open your Bibles with me today to the book of Revelation. In case you don't know where that is, well, number one, like, you should. Uh, but it's at the end of your Bible. It's all the way at the very end of the book. And if you're following along on your phone, well, that's great. Just go ahead and dial up Revelation. If you've got uh, a Bible with you, like turn to the back. And we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. Now, for those of you who've been with us all summer long, you know we've been walking through, kind of navigating through the epistles of John. The first John, second John, third John, written by the last apostle. He's now like up in his 90s, close to 100 years old, and, and he's gotten to this place where like he's the only one left. All the rest of them have died. They've been killed. They've been martyred. He's the last man standing. And here is the last apostle of God. He is writing important truths to the church to help us know what to do, how to live, and to stand up against the attacks that are certain to come, to stand up against the false doctrine which was guaranteed, to stand up against the false truths that were uh, penetrating into the church, pervading what was there, the church of Jesus Christ. And so what John wanted to make sure that everybody got, like kind of in his last declaration, last statement, guys, don't miss this, he said, walk in truth, walk in love. Make sure you do what you've heard from the beginning. And that's what in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John he talked about. But then he also wrote this last book. This last book that really is a revelation of what is to come. That God revealed to him. And if you read through verse uh, chapter 1, we're not going to read through that today, but you see how like, like he had this vision that God gave to him on the island of Patmos where, where God gave him this statement like, hey, make sure you go and tell the church. He says, hey, write this stuff down because the church needs to hear this. The church needs to, to know this. They need to, to know what really matters. They need to know what is important. So write this down. And so I want us to go to Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to take just a, a five verses today from this passage to, to get a, a picture of, like, what is it that Jesus thought was so important that John had to write it down, and that today that we must walk in it. And now there are seven churches that are addressed here. We're only going to deal with one today. In fact, I encourage you, if you want to, when you get home, you can go ahead and read through the rest. But, but, but for today, we're going to read what he had to say to one church and I think this one church is kind of the embodiment of the 2022 church, the church that all of us are part of. And whether it's here at Thomas Road or whether it's another local church or, or some other church in some other city, maybe you're visiting with us, like, like we're all in the same boat here. We're all walking the same journey, the same, you know, same situations, the same problems, the same challenges, the same distractions, all of the stuff that we deal with in our walk with Christ. So, so what John said, what God delivered to John to deliver to us, he writes, and we're going to start reading Ephesians, uh, Revelation chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. The reason I said Ephesians is because it's written to the church at Ephesus, so that's why a little slip there. Here he said, he said, write to the angel of the church in Ephesus, thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works your labor and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have bound them to found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name and have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. 
Now, these five verses are five verses that for us today, like, are things that we need to grab a hold of, that we need to kind of, like, spend a little bit of time, like, talking through, like, what does this mean? Like, what is it exactly that, that, that Jesus wants us to see and wants us to hear as His church that, as we just read, is a church that's faithful, a church that is doing, like, a lot of the right stuff, like, like focusing on the good stuff. Like, what is it that we need to be reminded of? And so, the first thing that I think John has given, given to us clearly here is this, is that Jesus is watching. Now, you think about that. Jesus is watching. Now, in every other religion, every other denomination that has, you know, that's, that's not a denomination or a religion that focuses on the, the, the God of the Bible and focuses on Jesus as our, our Savior, the ones, the ones that kind of, you know, walk in different directions and don't believe the things that we believe, here's one thing that is true among all of them. Like, they all point to, to some idea, they point to some concept, they point to some deity that, that maybe lived like, like many, many years ago. but. It is dead today. Like they have, you know, statues that they've built and they have idols that they have put up. You can travel uh, lots of times over into the Far East and you can see where they have these, these temples that are built. And in these temples, they have all of these different displays and all of these different, you know, ornate pictures and, and symbols of this God that they worship and this God that they talk about, this prophet that they follow or, or whatever it might be. But instant, interestingly enough, like in all of those situations, in all of those narratives, one thing that is constantly true, constantly like real, is this, is that God is dead. That that God is not here, that that's a God that is uh, more the idea of a mystical God, like, like, like a thought or, or a context or, or an opportunity to understand like what that was, and therefore it's a guide of what we should be. We do not fall into that category. The category that we fall in is this, is that our God is alive. And our God is not only alive, our God is active. And not only is our God active, but our God is present. And according to God's Word, that He inhabits the praise of His people. And that means that today, like we gathered in this room and we lifted our hearts and we lifted our voices in praise to Him and to who He is and what He's done. And just know this, like according to God's Word, guess who was in the room? Can somebody tell me? Like, He was in the room. Like, He's here. He's with us every step of the way. And not only that, but Jesus, after He rose from the grave, He made it clear, like, hey, like, I'm getting ready to go back to the Father, right? I'm heading back to to the place from where I came. But, hey, good news for you, because I'm going to send another. I'm going to send another who's going to come alongside, and He is going to to actually come alongside of you, and He's going to indwell you, and when you trust and believe in Me, and you you believe that that I died and that I rose again, you've embraced the gospel that the Holy Spirit of God is going to indwell you, and He's going to be with you, and you can't shake Him. You can't, like, get away from Him. He is with you every step of the way. Our God lives. And so today we walk through this thing called life, which is always a struggle and always a challenge, knowing that like we serve a God who is alive today. But as this passage tells us, as John is writing to that church in Ephesus, is he's telling, hey, Jesus is watching you. Now go back again to the second part of verse 1. Second part of verse 1, it says this, thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And then the first part of verse 2, it just simply says this, I know. Now what does that mean? The guy who holds the seven stars and he walks among the, the golden lampstands. Well, we're not going to turn there, but if you go back into chapter 1, 
In chapter 1, John is writing, and he's talking about the fact that, that he had this vision, and this vision that he had was this person who was walking among these seven golden lampstands, and it says this, and that he was like the Son of Man, that he was the Son of Man. In other words, who's the Son of Man? Again, I love giving quizzes. Who's the Son of Man? Like Jesus, right? So, Jesus is the Son of Man. So, it says that Jesus was walking among the seven lampstands. Now, what are the seven lampstands? The seven lampstands are a a representation of, a symbolic representation of the church of Jesus Christ. And so, what it tells us here in verse, in chapter 2, in the second part of verse 1, is that Jesus is the one who is talking, and He's walking among the seven lampstands, and then He makes this declaration, and He says, I know. That means Jesus knows what happens in this place. Jesus knows what we're doing within the church. Jesus knows, like, our hearts. He knows that when you're sitting out here, you know, eight rows back, and and you're kind of hanging out back here, I'm going to pick on you. You're the guy. I'm picking on you. So, you're sitting here, and you came to church today, that's great, that's awesome, right? And so, while things have been going on, it's right now, it's 1013, and that means we've been in this service now for 43 minutes, and here's what I know. If you're like everybody else in the room, at some point during those 43 minutes, your mind has been, like, fixed on what's happening, and there have been other moments where your mind has wandered, and you've wondered about what you're going to have for lunch today. And you're kind of concerned about, like, like, man, I've got, you know, I've got something at 2 o'clock, I've got to show up. Yeah, like, that happens, right? So, so here's what the, what the passage says. Jesus knows. Like, Jesus knows what's going on in this room. Jesus knows what's going on in our hearts. Jesus, Jesus knows what's going on in the, the midst of this place. And, man, what an incredible encouragement, number one. That's a good thing, right? But it's also a challenge. It's also like a little bit of a warning, because it's easy for us in the body of Christ to think that if we come and we sit in this chair, and we're here for the worship service, and we're faithful showing up, that maybe we can put on a show, that maybe we can put on a display, maybe we can put on like so that everybody sees us here and thinks, man, they've got it all together, and they're—I'm not saying you're not, okay? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, this guy's a great guy, and I'm sure he's like solid, but, but we put on shows sometimes. Jesus is watching. And so while that's an encouragement, then we, we have an active and a living and a present God. It also is an encouragement, but a challenge, because it also helps us represent—like, you better be real. Like, like the church is full of people, not full, the church has a lot of people who are not real in their faith. And to be honest with you, and I've said this numbers of times in this room, like, I'm sick and tired of a church having people in it that are hypocritical Christians, right? The church doesn't need hypocritical Christians, the church needs Christians who are on fire, who like represent and, and, and recognize what is so important about God's Word that like, man, I want to live it out. Like, I can't help but live it out. Like, man, I'm excited about living out. Like, I want people to know that when they see me and when they hear me and when they see me coming, like, they know, that's a guy who's on fire for Christ. That's what everybody in this room should desire. And Jesus is watching everything that we do with the idea of, like, again, verse, first, part of, uh, first part of verse 2, He says, listen, and I know, you cannot hide from God. You cannot hide from the presence of a living, active, and a present God. That's what sets us apart from every other religion. 
That's what sets us apart from, you know, every other religion that's out there, Buddhism and, and Hinduism and, and uh, you know, and, and Islam and all, like we serve and we have a, a living and an active and a present God, which is awesome, which is great, which is incredible, but also, man, it should call us to action. So we have to recognize, like, Jesus is watching. But then he goes on to tell us this. Like, so Jesus is not only watching, but this, this vision that God gives to John to write to all of us, to the church here, it also tells us this. It tells us that our faith must be complete. Like, you can't have a half-hearted faith. You can't have like an almost in, all there faith. You can't have like a, you know, one day in and one day out faith. Go back to this passage if you would. And let's read from this passage in uh, verse 2, the, the rest of verse 2. It says, listen, I know your works, I know your labor and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. And I know that you've persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary. Now, if we pause right there for a moment, let me ask you a question. Does this sound like a church that's really like doing it right? Yeah, it sounds like this is a church that's really kind of got it together, right? Let me read it again. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. Evil people, You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You have found them to be liars, and I know that you've persevered and you've endured hardship for the sake of my name, and you've not grown weary, like you're continuing to do all the right stuff. And man, you're doing it with endurance and with, with, with passion, and man, you're doing all of the right things. It sounds like, man, this church is just nailing it, right? Like this church is like doing it exactly the way a church should do it. Like so the church at Ephesus, I think I dropped this. Yep. All right. So uh, the, the church at Ephesus is like sitting there like thinking like, man, this is awesome because this is a, a vision that the apostle, the last one standing, right, the only one still living, that the apostle has gotten this vision from God that he got literally from the hand of Jesus because Jesus is the one that he saw who was holding the seven stars and walking among the seven lampstands, the churches, and he is looking and he's seeing and he knows, and here's what he has to say, I know your works and you're doing it well. Man, you are knocking it out of the park. Man, we are so excited speaking the Trinity. We're so excited about what you're doing. Man, it is awesome, and it's incredible. Can you see, you know, like all the, the heads of the leaders of the church at Ephesus, can you see their, their heads getting kind of puffed up a little bit, right? Like, man, this is like, this is, yeah, we got this, man. This is it. This is, we are doing it. The problem is John didn't stop there. Because listen to, again, this statement. I know your works, your labor, your endurance, you cannot tolerate evil people, it's great. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. In other words, they had doctrinal truths, like they understood like what is right and what is wrong. Remember, we talked about it this summer, like of all the false doctrine coming in. The more time you spend in the Word of God, the more you can see false doctrine. So they understood good doctrine. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you've found them to be liars. And I know that you persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you've not grown weary. You're, you're staying the course. You're continuing moving forward. Listen to verse 4. But I have have this against you. I don't know about you, but man, what an indictment that the God of the universe actually can make a statement, I have this against you. It's kind of scary, isn't it? 
It's kind of scary because what it tells us is, is that, man, we can be doing all of the right stuff. We can be faithful in serving. We can be faithful in doing. All of these tables that are here, man, we can be leading life groups, whether they meet here on a Sunday morning or whether they meet out in the community during the week. Man, we can be engaged and we can be involved. You see all these people standing around with shirts. Stand up all you guys with shirts on real quick. Stand up. Quick, 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 quick. Stand. Turn around. See all these shirts? It's not that they all just happen to choose the same thing to wear to church today. They're like this is a similar. These guys are serving and they're making a difference and they're making things. You can sit down. You guys are awesome. You guys are serving and making a difference. But here's what it tells us. You can do all of this stuff. Man, you can be faithful in serving. You can be faithful in doing. You can be faithful. You can show up earlier than anybody else. You can stay later than everybody else. I mean, like you can be killing it. Like right now, you hear the rain on the roof? Have you heard the rain on the roof, right? There are guys that are sitting out right now in our parking lot, helping people drive into our parking lot, and they're doing it in the rain. Like these guys are warriors, man. These guys are awesome. You can do all that kind of stuff. But here's what the God of the universe can still say, but I have this against you. It's kind of scary, isn't it? And here's what I think is true. I think there are lots of churches in our world today that are really good at doing, but are really bad at being. Like, we're really good at doing all the right stuff, but when it comes to the, the context of, or the idea of, or the, the position of being exactly what God intends for us to be, like, sometimes we miss the boat. And so, when he says this statement, I have this against you, we have to recognize and understand that we can never allow the good things to crowd out the great things, that we can never allow the good to distract us from doing what's really important. And so, this vision, Jesus says, but I have this against you. So, let's talk about this. Like, what is it that Jesus has against the church at Ephesus? What is it that He has against them? Well, let's keep reading. And what we learn is this verse 4 and the rest part of this verse, I have this against you. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. Now, what that tells us is this, is that love really does matter. Now, why is that such an important truth? It's an important truth because back in Matthew chapter 22, you remember when Jesus was asked the question, what's the most important commandment, right? Remember that? And then Jesus said this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting to note that Jesus, the very Son of God, who came in that incarnational presence in the, onto this earth, who, who walked onto this earth, uh, the only person who's ever lived here who is sinless, he came here, and when asked the question like, what's the most important thing that he didn't come up with? Hey, you've got to go to church. He didn't say, hey, but you better read your Bible every single day. He didn't say, you better be a prayer warrior. He didn't say, you better wear the t-shirt. He didn't say any of that stuff. Here's what he said. Love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. In other words, love your heart, uh, love your God with everything that you are. Oh yeah, and also, love your neighbor. Now, the reason that that is such a critical statement is because I think sometimes within the church we get so good at doing the things of church that we lose sight of the why. Like, like we, we, we check all the boxes. 
right? We, we fill out all the boxes. We do all the things. Man, we're, we're showing up, right? Man, we, you know, when they say, hey, we're going to have group Sunday, man, we're there. We're, you know, we'll be there early. You know, we'll wear the shirt. I mean, it's, you know, absolute. We'll be there. You bet. Count on it. Man, we want to lead. We want to do. We want to serve. We want to sing. We, we want to do all that. Like, yeah, absolutely. I'm in. I'm there. You just tell me when I'll be there. And then we get so caught up in the doing. We get so caught up in the serving. We get so caught up in the, the activity. We get so caught up in like, like the action of church that sometimes we can easily lose sight of what it's all about. And what it's all about is not building a big church. And what it's all about is not having like a lot of groups. And what it's all about is not having lots of places for people to serve. Did you know that here on a Sunday morning at Thomas Road, that like for every Sunday, so like this is Sunday, August the 20-something, what is it? August 21st. It's August the 21st. And so like this day is like every other Sunday of the year. Do you know how many people it takes to actually pull off a Sunday on a Sunday morning at Thomas Road? Anybody guess? It takes 1,000 people serving on a Sunday morning to pull off all that we do. Like, like, like every area, every, you know, opportunity for, it takes a thousand people to do what we do. But here's what God's Word tells us. Like, like in all that stuff, in all the things that we do, sometimes we get so focused on the doing, so focused on the activity, so focused on making sure that we are actually doing the job, we lose sight of what the job is supposed to accomplish. Our responsibility as a church is not to fill a room. Our responsibility as a church is to fill heaven. Our responsibility as a church is to introduce people to the God of the universe through His Son, Jesus Christ, that He died and that He was buried and that He rose again three days later. Our job is to tell them that truth, introduce them to that truth, help them to embrace that truth, to believe that truth, and then to walk in that truth. That is our job. Not the activity, not the doing, and see, here's what happens in the church at Ephesus. They were so good at doing, they were so good at serving, they were so good at knowing, but man, they weren't that good at loving. They were so good at making sure that every person that walked into that church at Ephesus on a Sunday morning, that man, they they were happy, that they loved the music, they thought it was great. You know, that they could go home that day, that afternoon, and go on Facebook and say, man, what a blessed day in church. Man, we just had a great time. The nursery was awesome. You know, they were so focused on making sure that they were checking all the boxes. But my suspicion is, and it doesn't say it here, but my suspicion is because of what John said, is this, is that there were probably a lot of people in Ephesus, which is a really important city in that time. There were probably a lot of people in Ephesus who were lost and who were going to hell, and Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, was not going out to reach them because they were so focused on making sure they were taking care of the people in the room. When my dad built this building back in 2004 and 5 and 6, we moved in here in uh, July of 2006 for the first service, and I remember clearly, some of you were here that day, I remember my dad stood right there on that pulpit. And he stood here, and here's what he said. The room was full, just like it is today. Here's what he said. I didn't build this building for you. We built this building for those who are not here yet. What a great statement. 
Because our job is not to make sure that the church is happy. Our job is to make sure the church is doing the work of an evangelist and reaching the people of our community and the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because being a part of a church doesn't get you to heaven. Only believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died and He rose again will get you to heaven. And that's our job is to tell. And so what He said, He said, man, you've lost your first love. Like, you've lost sight of it. You, you've forgotten really what it all means. And then he brings us back down to this statement. So, so he says this like an encouragement, like, so, hey, so let's start doing it right before it's too late. Let's do it right before it's too late. And what does too late mean? Well, it just means this. It's time is short. The urgency of the gospel has never been more important than right now. Do you understand that, right? Like, so when John is writing this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when, when we see the work that Paul did in, in the book of Acts, when we see the work that Peter did and, and all of the others that we read about, like, it was important then that they were spreading the gospel. But you recognize, and I want you to hear this, it is more important that we are doing the work that God has called us to do today than it was for Paul to have done it 2,000 years ago. That's a pretty heavy statement, isn't it? Because the Apostle Paul was a pretty important guy, Right? Like, he did a lot of really important stuff. It's never been more important than it is today, and here's why. Because time is short. When you look in the Scriptures, we're not going to go to them today, but if you kept reading through the book of Revelation, if you went back into uh, 2 Timothy and you read some of the things there, what we would learn is this, is that in the last days, things were going to get worse and worse, right? Like, like we're going to see that, uh, you know, uh, the people are going to start being lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. That people are going to be proud and they're going to be blasphemers. They're going to start living a life that doesn't honor God and walks away from God. Uh, People who like are only looking out for themselves. And you know, it sounds like that's today, right? Like we're there. We're smack dab in the middle of it, right? And so we know the time is short. I don't know when Christ is going to return. It might be today. It might be 10 years from now. It might be 100 years from now. I don't know. And the fact that I don't know underscores the urgency. The fact that you don't know when Christ is going to return should underscore the urgency of the fact that there's somebody in your family that doesn't know Christ yet, and God is expecting you to be the evangelist in your own home, to be the evangelist in your dorm, to be the evangelist in the classroom, to be the evangelist in the workplace, to be the evangelist wherever God takes you. So let's do this thing right before it's too late. Look what it says in verse 5. So, remember then how far you have fallen, repent and then do the works that you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, he gave us a three-point outline there, right? He was a good Baptist preacher, John was. He gave us a three-point outline, and he just said this, remember, repent, and do. Got it? Remember, repent, and do. So, remember what's really important. Remember that moment that you trusted Christ, and man, just the, the, the incredible moment that was and the feeling that, that you had when you recognized and understood that the God of the universe saved you through His Son, Jesus, and now you have the promise and the hope of eternity in heaven. Man, what an amazing Remember what God has done, number one. Number two, and repent. Repent of the fact that you have slid away from that feeling that you had. That you've moved away from that incredible experience now, and you've gotten so busy, and you've gotten into the busy work and the doing that you've forgotten about truly basking in the glory of of what Christ has done. And then the third, and do, do what really matters of introducing people to the hope and the promise that is found through the gospel. Now, there's an interesting little statement here that I don't want us to miss. He says, remember then how far you've fallen. 
repent, that means to like do an about face, right? Like complete turning, a 180 degree turn. I heard a preacher one time preach this passage, or this passage, another one talking about the repent. And he said, you got to do a 360 degree turn. Don't do that, okay? Do a 180 degree turn, okay? You can go home and get on a pen and a paper, you can figure out why. Like a 180 degree turn, like repent, like do a complete about face, turn away from where you were going and go back to where you should be and, and do, it says, the works that you did at first. Listen to the statement though, otherwise I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now here's why that statement is important. Remove the lampstand from his place. What does that mean? Well, let's see if you've been paying attention. I'm, I'm, I'm checking on you, right? You've been thinking, yeah, I'm checking on you. Make sure you've been paying attention, okay? So, here's the question. So, so what, is the lamp, what does the lampstand represent? The church, right? I will remove the lampstand from its place. Here's an important thing, and I hope all of us in this room and every church that's represented always remembers this. Jesus promised... In the book of Matthew, that he would build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus never promised that he would build your church. When your church gets off track and begins doing the things that don't really matter, when your church becomes more focused on the doing of activity and the doing of works and deeds and like making sure that you're checking all the boxes rather than you are in sharing and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs it, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I will remove the lampstand from its place. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to like, you know, send down like Sodom and Gomorrah, like, like, you know, lightning bolts and rocks and, and, you know, church is gone. You know, that doesn't mean, it means this, is that your church will stop thriving. Your church will become a dead place where people go and it becomes a club and they might still enjoy hanging out there and they might enjoy being around the people that are there, but God is not doing anything in the room. And I don't know about you, I don't ever want to be a part of a church where God is not doing anything in the room. You saw today three people who got baptized, two of them having walked through and out of addiction to drugs and alcohol through our Elam home ministry that we've had going back to 1958 around here. Like you think about like God is doing something in this church. People are getting saved and lives are being changed, not because of me, not because of like in, you know, serving in the nursery or in the groups, not because the guys are out in the parking lot in the rain. No, here's why God is on the move here. Because our hearts are on the move, because our gods are, our, our, our hearts are focused on the God and the right thing. And that's what it's got to remain. So we've got to focus on like making sure we remember what it's like, we remember what is important, we repent when we get off track, and then we go back and we do exactly what God has called us to do. Otherwise, the church is in trouble. And that is a statement on any church anywhere in the face of the earth. If you stop fixing your eyes on and focusing on what Jesus has called you to do, you're in trouble. Don't go there. And you recognize this as just the last statement. When I say that the church is in trouble, and when I say, and I quote what Jesus said, I will remove the lampstand from its place, let me ask you one more question, like one more little quizlet here. I guess quizlet's not the right word. That's something you cheat with. It's not quizlet. It's like, it's like a, all the students in the room are like, oh, how did you know that? I don't know. Okay. 
One more little pop quiz. Here's the a, here's a question. The church is in trouble. The church being represented by the lampstand will be removed from its place. What is the church? Is the church this building? Is the church like a denomination? Then what's the church? The people. The body of Christ is not a building. The body of Christ is not a denomination. The body of Christ is not a a group that gathers together on a Sunday. The body of Christ are the people who have claimed the name of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus said the church is in trouble, he's talking about us. When Jesus says, I will remove the lampstand from its place, he's not saying, I'm going to take Thomas Road, that building, and I'm going to grab it up and I'm going to pick it up and like drop it over in like, you know, Bedford County on the far end over there. He's not saying that. He says, I'm going to remove you. And God's going to stop doing his work. I don't want that to happen to us. I don't want that to happen to you, and I certainly don't want it to happen to me. So what do we do? Remember? Remember the God that loves us and sent his son Jesus who died for us, that he rose again. Repent. Man, when we get off track, 180, right back to him, and do what God has called us to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a reminder today in your word about how we can be a a great church in the world's view, but still be a church that is letting you down. That we can be doing all the right things, but lose sight of what's important. God, I pray that we would never be that. God, I pray that we would fix our eyes and our hearts and our minds on the right things and do it today. And God, for that person in this room or watching or listening who perhaps has never made that decision to trust and to believe that Jesus is your son, that he died and that he rose again. God, I pray right now, this would be the moment they would just simply say, you know what, I, I, I believe. That right now in this moment, this would be the time where everything changes for them. And God, in advance, we give you praise. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, in a moment we're going to stand and Charles is going to lead us. And as he does, our team is going to gather here at the front, and this altar is going to be open. If you're here today, and maybe like in the kind of self-evaluation that you've been doing during our time together this morning, that maybe you've kind of like recognized some, some areas in your life where you've kind of gotten a little bit off track, like maybe you're not remembering like your first love. Maybe you kind of like gotten a little bit sidetracked by the distractions, even of doing the good stuff. Like maybe today you need to come to this altar and just kneel here and just say, God, I'm sorry. Repent, 180, and now, God, I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I'm going to do the right things in my life. Or maybe today you want to meet Christ. Man, our team is here. We'd love to introduce you to who Jesus is and what Jesus will do for you. It's, listen, it's insane. It's awesome. It's amazing. And we want that for you today. Maybe you want to join our church family. Maybe you want to come for baptism. Whatever, whatever it is that God is speaking to you. Let, let's stand right now. And Charles is going to lead us. And, and the altar is open. And the aisles are open. I just encourage you, step out right now. My hope is built on nothing less Than Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest fame 
in the minds and the lives of those who've come, those who may be standing, those who might be watching, who, uh, Lord, today you're doing a present and a real work in their lives. God, I pray that you would do amazing things, God. We thank you for the gift of your son. We don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn it, but we thank you that he died and that he rose again. We believe today that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man gets to you except through him. God, we, we praise you for that. God, I pray that today we would continue to walk in this truth, constantly walking through that three-point outline you gave us. Remember what's important. Repent when we mess up and do what's right. And God, for that, we give you the praise that you constantly remind us this is what we're to do. God, we love you. And God, we want to serve you. And God, we praise you because you're the only one worthy of being praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our altar remains open. I encourage you, before anybody leaves, before anybody leaves, Stephen, come on out here real quick if you would. Listen, we are so grateful for the fact that school is back in session. You might not be, but we are. And I know there are a lot of students that are here today. And Stephen is our young adult pastor here at Thomas Road. And we've got some special things just for you students. So Stephen, share a little bit about that really quick. Where are my college students at? Oh, yeah. So the morning is just getting started for us. You guys, to my left and your right, when you exit those doors, you're gonna enter a fellowship hall called Bruner Hall. We got free bagels, free coffee, and I don't know if you're like me, if you've already had a cup of coffee and need another one, we got you over there. And we have some gourmet popsicles. We also gourmet have a- popsicles. Gourmet, that means you don't have to feel guilty. What in the world is that? But anyway, it's a gourmet you'll, popsicles, listen, don't forget. But we'll be over there, you'll get a gift from us. But tonight, church family, we'll be right back in here in this room. And Pastor, what time? What time? 7 p.m. 7 p.m., right here. And Pastor Jonathan, you always tell the story of your father walking across this campus, shuffling his feet, claiming Joshua 2. Tonight, we're kicking off the year in prayer and worship. We're standing on answered prayers, guys. But we're not done asking God. So tonight, come back at 7 p.m., ask God, hey, what is going to happen next on this campus? in this church. You heard it from him today. It's not just this worship service. It's what are we doing to impact this community. So guys, we want to invite you out to that. And lastly, it's group Sunday. So for the rest of the adults, there's also a party for you. All these tables all around, if you're not in a group and out on Main Street, join a group. We want you here in fellowship, serving, and in community with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So college students, coffee, bagels, and gourmet popsicles right through those doors. God bless you, we'll see you next week.
Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.